Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Provcast. My name is Court and I'll be your host and I'm here with the lovely, the one and only Lauren Schreiber, <laughs> who is our Director of Women's Ministry. Hi, Lauren. Hello. We're so excited that you're here. It's been a long time coming and uh, yeah. that's half on me and well, mostly on me. But anyway, I'm glad that we finally got to make this happen. I'm excited. I'm glad that you're here and I know that there'll be a lot of people that'll be glad to hear from you. So uh, to kick off though, for those who probably don't know you as well as I know you, um, because Lauren and I have been great friends for a long time, family friends. And so I just wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of share your story and um, tell people maybe a little bit of background on how you got into uh, ministry, not just women's ministry, but ministry generally, maybe yeah. how you came to know the Lord, things like that. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, I really, ministry for me started in my early twenties. That was really the time where I was understanding that I needed to respond to my faith and obedience, that it wasn't just knowing that God exists, but, um, knowing that God is our Lord, he is our savior, that that will change our life and our response to our faith. So we'll respond in obedience. And right around that time, I uh, visited a church and had gotten involved in youth ministry, which is where I met you. <laughs> I think you were in youth at All the right. time. <laughs> um, but I was of college age at that point and honestly really just took the, the every next step ahead of me and became a leader in the youth ministry. Um, in that, I had the opportunity to lead a lot of young girls, and I found youth ministry uh, to be, I really liked being able to kind of be just one life stage ahead of uh, young girls at that time, and being able to speak into where they were in middle school and high school, and we even had a college ministry as well. And so through that, just through leading different Bible studies in different groups in the youth ministry, uh, ended up as lead girls pastor of that youth ministry and did that for a few years. and. Um, right up until pretty much you made the decision to plant Providence. And um, at that point, you were the youth pastor of that youth ministry. So we had all kind of evolved into the leaders of that youth ministry. And so um, really, I had grown a lot of respect for you and your leadership through um, our time where we got to serve in ministry there in youth. And so I knew that when you were going to plant Providence, that I wanted to be a part of that. And so came over to plant Providence with you and have pretty much been involved since inception. Yep. <laughs> and then my ministry where I was uh, before in youth ministry leading young girls just kind of transformed over and transferred over into Providence as leading the women here, which has been uh, amazing. It's been an amazing experience. I love it. It's very life-giving for me. It's also more challenging. It's different because I'm not always a life stage ahead, right. which is your experience in youth ministry. You're always at least one life stage ahead. But now, obviously, we do ministry with women that are, you know, what I would say are much wiser in some ways, have been through a lot of life, and not even yeah. only in age, but maybe have endured a lot of suffering or hardships in life. And so you're coming in and you're ministering to just a much wider range of women. But I've really enjoyed it, and that's really what how I got to be here doing this today so yeah. it's funny listening to it like because I obviously knew all of those things but listening to it for you recounting it the similarities between how I came to be a youth pastor and you coming to yeah. the ministry which is really you said it but just kind of being obedient and taking the next steps and then you look up and you realize like oh you know people call me pastor or people look up to me or people you know people desire to hear from me like right. I've just been a Christian 
then people ask me to do something and then I end up doing it. You know, I always yeah. joke with people that like my first ministry job was like a front door greeter. <laughs> and then I yes, just, you so know, some, someone asked me to do something else. I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I'll do yeah. that. And then it happenstance, like how, how much do you think the, and not to say that calling to ministry isn't a real thing, because I think we both agree that it is, but how much do you think that sometimes people overvalue the idea of some, you know, audible voice from the clouds that tells them to, to step in and, you know, be a leader in the church versus yeah. just being obedient, being faithful and finding yourself one day leading? Yeah, I think sometimes we can put a lot of value on having this, you know, feeling or I, I know clearly what God has called me to and it's this very magical experience and yet so much of it is just obediently serving in the opportunities that are laid before you. So right. in whatever way you're able to serve and to do that faithfully and consistently. And I think ultimately you will go where your strengths are. Um, Recently I've had an opportunity to share my testimony and really looking back in my childhood, even before I was a believer, now I can see that God had given me a hunger for his word in particular, even when I was really young. And so as even that has just grown and developed, you know, that became me wanting to study God's word and teach God's word, which has just become a part of my leadership. Right. But ultimately, it was always just being obedient to the next step and end up where you are today in right. ministry. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy how the Lord does those things and, and and is faithful even when we're just kind of trying to wade our way through it. But, you know, yeah. you, you mentioned, because I, I found myself, uh, you know, I've told people my story before about, you know, my mom putting me in a Christian school, Christian mm-hmm. middle school. And I always loved the Bible stories, you know. Um, I wasn't a Christian at the time. I just enjoyed them. So a Bible class, I got, you know, good grades there. Well, and it's similar to what you're saying. I look back now, I'm like, oh, well, the Lord was already doing that, yeah. putting that love in my heart. But a couple of years ago, and I don't know how, how long exactly, but as you have been kind of wading through, you know, you mentioned planting the church, there's all sorts of differences uh, between, you know, having a ministry that's, uh, I guess, ministry-wide. We used to, in student ministry, we called it the big church, you know. The big church was the yeah. adults, you yeah. know. And then, obviously, we we become the adults and you know and now you're ministering to a broader audience and for you as a women's ministry director versus being a you know a student ministry girls pastor and intern director you know you've been kind of wading through just like we've all been wading through learning how to to do ministry and to plan a church but i guess it was a couple of years ago maybe a few years ago you made the decision hey we we do relationships and things in home group and we also have women's ministry meetings i want women's ministry to be focused on biblically equipping Women. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you and ask you, you know, why did you make that call? Why, why did you think that was? Because I know it wasn't just you; it was a, the group of girls yeah. that lead with you. You know, how did that conversation go, and, and why did y'all decide, hey, this is where we really want to aim? Yeah, I mean, ever since Providence started, we've been really clear on uh, why we do the things that we do, and we've always, you know, we've I've sat at a staff table for with you for years, and just trying to remember simplicity has always been a key thing for us, and really knowing exactly why we do the things that we do. And so, to your point, going back, home groups were always primary for uh, how we're going to have relationships with one another in the church, how we build our community, um, and. Uh, in home groups, we will a lot of times open the Bible, we'll study the Bible, and maybe we get taught by our home group leader, but that's not necessarily the primary goal of that. And a couple of years ago, we did kind of um, uh, define uh, or kind of hone in on the vision of women's ministry, which is to equip and encourage women to be in their word. Mm. 
And um, again, coming back to relationships and connection, all those things will happen when you're a part of the women's ministry and you attend and we are sitting around a table in God's word together. Those are those things are happening. Right. Um, but our goal is really to uh, encourage women to be in their word, but also equip them. And so what we want them to be able to do is to be able to go home when they're by themselves, open their Bible and not feel uh, overwhelmed, but feel confident that they can read a text. They can, even if it doesn't clearly make sense the first time, they have the tools that they need to be able to pick out keywords or themes or know where to go as a resource, look up definitions, just tools that they can use when they are in their word by themselves. And so um, we focus big time on equipping and encouraging women to do that. And also just knowing that it's really important for every part of our lives for us to understand God's word. And yeah. we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about how important that's becoming with our culture these right. days, but that's going to be so important for us to be able to uh, know how to go to God's word and uh, read truth for what it is. And so the other thing that was really formative at the time, I believe I'm probably going to butcher this. I can't directly quote it, but it's definitely an idea from what I know came from Jen Wilkin was this idea of being able to love the Lord with your own mind. And I think a lot of times as believers, it can be easy for us, especially in this age where we have so many resources available to us. Right. We can go pick up a book. Um, we can come in here on a Sunday morning and we can listen to you preach. And you've spent a week reading the text, wrestling with the text, coming to your conclusions, giving us application points. And so we can come on Sunday right. morning get it get it uh, delivered to us and take those application points and just carry them out and we really never had to do the work of sitting with the text and wrestling with the text and so essentially we can kind of love god through what your mind did to come to the conclusion or come to to come to the text that way um, and so just wanting women to engage in that themselves to be able to love the lord with their mind mm. their heart their soul um, and helping them to have the tools and resources to be able to do that. Yeah, it's, it makes me think um, how how much of this is also just trying, because this is something I think about often as a teaching pastor and, and just as a lead pastor generally, is my desire for the local church and then the, the church at large, but obviously particularly Providence, my desire for us to be biblically literate in the sense that we don't know the right things about the Bible, but yeah. we know how to come to those right conclusions. So it's the idea of the difference between giving someone a fish or teaching them to fish. Mm -hmm. So like, it sounds to me like you're getting at that too. It's, it's not just, Hey, how can we disciple women in order to function well in the body? Yeah. Um, in order to receive, mm -hmm. but it's how do we disciple women that they might grab their Bible and know how to come to those conclusions so that Sundays become more exhortation, yeah. a reminder of that which is true. Not that they'll never hear anything new, but for the most part, it's that, you know, Ephesians 4, where whether we're singing spirit hymns, spiritual songs, you know, or preaching, teaching, all of these things are encouragements to one another on Sundays. Yeah. Because we've already been there. There is a difference, I think. There's a difference between always coming to gathering and the expectation that just tell me what I need to know. Right. Like, here's the facts you need to know versus here's the tools where you right. can you can come to these conclusions as well. I think those are massively different. Yeah. 
And one of the biggest changes we made going back, oh gosh, it's got, probably got several years ago now that we're talking about this kind of um, shift that we made in women's ministry. But one of the, the key things that we changed is before the way we structured it is we would come in and we would teach a text, which I feel like is a model that a lot of uh, women's ministries do, but we would teach a text and then we would break out into group discussions. But at that point, your discussion is really kind of regurgitating what the, yeah. you've already heard the lesson, you know, you've had this person come and teach you that studied it for a week or two weeks, three weeks. And so when you go to discussion, you kind of already have that, that you're pulling into the discussion. And so what we did at that time is we flipped it. So we actually do our discussion before the teaching. So mm -hmm. it gives the women an opportunity to kind of sit with this text that maybe they haven't seen and okay, let's wrestle with it together. And we tell them, don't be afraid to say the wrong thing because you're at a table with other believers. The goal here is that we're wrestling through the text together. Um, you know, uh, scripture says that we'll encourage one another with our faith. And so we're trying to actively do that at those tables. And then once you've kind of wrestled on this discussion, then we'll get up and we'll have a teacher teach through the text who has studied, who has read commentaries, who has kind of had that time to really wrestle with the text. And yeah. so you'll see them, you know, as as you're teaching, like, oh, yeah, we said that or oh, I, I, we didn't think about that, you know, and kind of um, help make that kind of change the way that we handled our women's ministry um, time together. Yeah, and in some ways maybe helps also to not to eliminate that feeling of uh, I have, I'm afraid to say my my opinion. Yeah. Like if you do it on the back end, it's like well, I'm not going to say the dumb things that I was thinking before Lauren taught or before one of the other leaders taught. Right. You know, on the front end though, it's like you're wrestling with that, and that just there's some. I think there's a lot of help that comes from saying something, and then later on realizing why that might not be true. Yeah. Because then it'll also bring you to that conclusion later. Yeah. You know, whenever you're coming up against maybe a text that's similar or something yep. like that. Totally. Okay, so I have to ask because I think it's something that's been asked of me, and we've thought about it even whether it be in staff uh, get-togethers or staff retreats. You know, we, we do always want to remain simple as a church. That's always been very fundamental. And so one of the things we regularly do is ask ourselves, are the ministries that we're currently engaged in, are they are they fruitful? Are they... Um, necessary, you know, in order to accomplish the mission of making the gospel unignorable. So we've got the metrics that we use for that, and they're they're important. But people have asked me, we've asked each other, why do we do specific gender specific ministries? Like, why is a women's ministry yeah. necessary? Why is a men's ministry necessary? Or why are they even remotely helpful? Um, like, what's your take on that? I mean, beyond just hey. Uh, you know, girls get with girls, guys get with guys. That does happen in home groups, even right? Yeah, it's like it just kind of <laughs> natural. It just naturally happens. Yeah, like you, 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 before you know it, you look out. The guys are out by the fire. You know, all standing. Yeah. You know, at a dis good distance apart, and the girls. <laughs> the are, women gathered in the kitchen. Yes, they're all seated at the table with like yeah. you know their after after dinner coffee or whatever talking. And beyond just that, you know, why do you think it's necessary? And, yeah. Uh, and what what are the helpful things that come along with that? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, there's value to all kinds of different learning environments, mixed gender as well as gender specific, but there is a uniqueness to the conversation you can have when you're sitting at a table with women, where um, obviously when we're men and women gathered together, we're going to have, you know, there's there's things that are common to us about our, our human experience that we're having. Yeah. But when we get in a room and we're able to sit at a table with a group of women, there are specific conversations that we have. We know that there's propensities for, um, you know, genders to have a, gr a bigger struggle, not not across the board, and that's not always right. um, true. 
Um, but it does kind of change the, the way that we might go at a conversation and we can also specifically encourage women in some of the roles that might be unique to them. You know, women are moms. Um, they are sisters. They right. are daughters. Um, they probably have friends that are women as well. And so um, there is a uniqueness to their experience as women that we can kind of dive into those roles and conversations a little bit differently than we could if it was mixed gender. And I think it also helps our women to um, be able to come and wrestle with the text. You know, there. You know, it may be hard for a woman to come and sit at a table with um, guys present and wrestle through the text and really try to apply their mind in that way. And so I think it also just helps bring a comfortability to the yeah. conversations that we're having. And and I mean, it's it would be remiss if we didn't just talk about it a little bit. But culturally speaking, it seems that as the conversation around gender has changed, has shaped and has, and I mean, I would I would say maybe ratcheted up 12 fold in the last or 100 fold in the last year, year and a half. Yeah. Um, the Christian theology around gender is maybe the most important or one of the most important ideas that we need to, I think, drill down more deeply and more become more confident in. Yeah. And I think that starts, but like it's Genesis 1, 26 through 28, right? But it starts in 26, which is the Imago Day. So it starts with our equality. It starts with our right. essence as image bearers of God, what yep. we hold in common as uh, in the genders. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if it stops there, it kind of leads to a little bit of the gender madness that we have right now that says that there's no difference between men and women so much so that you can just decide one day that maybe there's a, a male in you that needs to come out. You know, yeah. it's kind of this Gnostic, like there's a spiritual man in me that needs to come out, even though I have a physical body of a female. Or for me, there's a spiritual woman that needs to come out and I have a physical body of a male. Um, you kind of see that right now. I mean, I don't know if you saw this in the news, but, you know, it's it's so widespread that Caitlyn Jenner is now running for governor in California yeah. mm-hmm. um, as a conservative, as a, as a Republican, which is, it's, it has nothing to do with politics. The point is just how crazy it's gotten. But... Genesis one twenty seven, male and female I created them. So he brings yeah. a distinction, meaning there's a difference. And these two ideas being held in tension that men and women are both equal and different. Yeah. This is at the very like front end of the scriptures. Yeah. And so how much do you think how much pushback do you perceive is is headed the church's way or is already there? Maybe it's already on the doorstep. And how do you feel like the church needs to respond to that? Maybe what, what role do you see these maybe individual ministries playing? And then also the importance of making sure that we have mixed gender learning environments too, and that we're not just like overreacting on one right. end or the other, you know, a, a healthy biblical response to this is what the scriptures say. Like how important do you see that like coming, coming our way? Yeah, I think it's going to be huge coming our way and it's going to be increasingly difficult to uh, hold to what we believe is true um, especially when uh, that is going to be framed as hatred. Um, I think that's going to be a biggest challenge. You know me, I'm a peacemaker by, <laughs> by personality type. Um, so that's going to be a, a struggle for me. And to be honest with, you know me, um, I uh, you know, want to be um, counted as equal. I want to sit at a table and you know, be able to converse with men and women and um, you know, be invited into those conversations. And so I think something just personally that's been helpful for me is asking God to help me delight in the fact that I am a woman and what yeah. does that mean and how is that unique to me? And 
um, and to, to look for the specific ways that as a woman I'm called to uh, be a believer and how I am as a mom or a, in the church as a woman here, the nurturing that um, we have a natural uh, bend towards, you know, and just right. kind of delighting in that role rather than saying like, you know, like we should just, there should be no distinction. I want to be counted, you know, just the same instead of equal, but distinct. And I want to explore some of those distinctions and say, how can we delight in that? And, you know, I think with the culture in particular, one of the scariest things that I see right now in culture is the idea that just the concept of truth is being redefined. Yeah. Um, the definition of truth is being redefined. So, you know, you have your truth, I have my truth, they have they, their truth. And I think it's going to make even the conversation more challenging uh, in that context because we have no kind of absolute truth that we're kind of both uh, trying to circle around and come to agreement on. Because I think even in the presence of an absolute t- truth, there is a truth that exists. We might disagree because we're interpreting something different or we might you know, just feel differently. Um, but ultimately our goal is to say there is absolute truth and we're both trying to edge closer to that or understand it. Right. But when you remove the idea of there even being a concept of absolute truth and truth just becomes this really, um, you know, uh, amorphous concept where it's unique to each person, I think that's going to be one of the um, biggest struggles that we have culturally. And I just came across uh, on my Facebook memories the other day and I shared it was this Elizabeth Elliot quote. And she basically says something again, I'm going to butcher the direct quote, but Um, You know, sitting around and talking about your feelings with a group of people may feel really good because you might find people that feel the same way you do or find or feel worse than you do. And that may feel really good, but that's no way to come at truth. Right. And so, yeah, I I just feel like culturally that's probably going to be our 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 biggest battle is just and and goes back to why biblical literacy is so important. We I think we have to. Um, hold God's word as the standard of absolute truth. And that's a red flag anytime I'm talking to someone is once they start to diminish the um, truth of God's word. Right. Um, and uh, and so I think we have to hold to that standard and that's going to become increasingly difficult as, you know, as we do that. And if it becomes construed as hatred, which, it, you know, obviously all that we say and do would be in love. But right. I think that's going to be a big struggle for us. It's interesting because I... I think back, like, okay, so 2020 was a crazy year, and but I don't think that it just came out of a vacuum. Like, COVID certainly came out of nowhere for us, but I don't think that all of the things that we dealt with, all the things that we've been dealing with culturally, all these ideas came out of a vacuum. They didn't just come out of nowhere. They're just exposed by what was yeah. a worldwide pandemic. And one of those that I thought I've been thinking through um, from the church perspective is, you know, you were telling your story about coming in youth ministry and student ministry, and I put myself back whenever I would first came to know Christ, thinking of what youth pastors were talking about at the time. And I remember a very prominent message, whether it was, I heard it preached, whether it was like a book. I remember I read a, I read a book by a guy named Josh McDowell that was like more than a carpenter, and it was talking about Jesus. Yeah. And one of like the first chapters, second chapters, he talks about relative truth. He's like, well, truth can't be relative, and you know, he's basically making a case for that. You know, it can't be relative. If it is relative, here's all the things that might happen. Yeah. This is, you know, what, 15, 20 years ago now. But, you know, whenever he wrote this, I don't think that he or any of these pastors would have imagined 
as, as, as intense as they were by saying, hey, this is trouble, I don't think any of them could have imagined we would be questioning absolute truth at the gender level, for instance. Right. Like at the biological yeah. sex level. Um, and the fact that me even saying that, knowing that a podcast is going out, knowing that people might consider that what you mentioned, hate speech, bigotry, it's great. It's a little bit crazy. They're like, I can this is something that was just fundamentally Christian for so long. Everybody understood well, that's just what Christians believe. And now it's like, well, no. Yeah. You can't believe that anymore. And there's been this fusion, as you mentioned, of you're denying my lived existence by saying things like this, or you're denying my identity. Um and it it kind of it kind of goes to the root of that old adage, which you can argue this way if you want to, but the idea of like love love the sinner, hate the sin. Yeah. Like we hate our sin, but we love each other knowing we're sinners. Well, this kind of fuses that, like like my sin is me. Right. So therefore, if you say that, even just calling it sin, you're calling me, you're saying that something that I am. Yeah, is, is, is evil or not good, yeah. Yes, and that's that fusing of those ideas means that the the whole gener the, the next generation that's being you know growing up right now is growing up with an idea of of I guess the the, the human person that's yes. jaded yeah and so it, it makes it, it brings me to this question which is what would you say to the person that argues with you and says listen in our time right now with the issues we have about race the issues we have about gender the political things that are you know flying around the last thing we need is old school Bible yeah you know we need something better than that like we need we need conversations around these cultural topics. We need to sit around, like you mentioned in that quote from Elizabeth Elliot, we need to talk about our lived experience. That's how we're going to come to the truth, not stories of Ruth. Right. You know, or Jacob <laughs> or Joseph. We don't need these outdated stories. How would you respond? Man, I would just say um, that this go, the, what I was just saying about we have to have absolute truth to even engage in these conversations. When you just mentioned the term relative truth, you know, I <laughs> It just totally erodes the basis of a conversation, right. you know. And we, I mean, and I think we won't even be able to engage with one another anymore. And so, um, you know, I believe as Christians, as people who are going to say that we believe in God, we believe His word is true. We have to hold on to that. And does that mean that we're reading some older stories, like you mentioned, Ruth and Joseph? Yes, we're mining those for uh, what it meant, yes, for them in that day, what it means for us today. And sometimes does that take us to hard conclusions and hard places where we may have to stand in boldness? You know, we're studying Acts, which we'll probably get into uh, before we close out, but um, just the early disciples watching them just speak boldly and they were confronting just all kinds of cultural issues at their time too right um but so confident uh, in jesus christ as lord and to be able to speak with boldness and so yeah i think wh what else do we cling to if we can't cling to the 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 word of god right we have to cling to that. that's 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 what we have that's that's god's word to us and so um i think facing all of these things that's going to be of utmost importance we have to go back to that. Otherwise, we're going to lose our footing and we're not going to even know which way is up anymore. You know, yeah. and I, I think that's going to be really important. What's interesting that, that I've seen is seeing the majority of the population that just kind of, you know, that just live in their, live in their lives, you know, kind of in this, kind of not in it. Why, why is this even a topic? Why are we arguing? I don't care what people do because I just have all my own problems. Yeah. Um, and, and so there's more of a lackadaisical uh, element to it. And then there's, I think, a very small minority of people who are taking some of these ideas to their logical conclusions and 
still basically like it's like running right off of a cliff and you just take the brake system out of the car knowing you're headed for the cliff but being okay with it like a for instance would be um i saw some articles about does two plus two really equal four does it equal five could it equal five and it sounds absolutely ridiculous right because we have we have some given premises about our civilization and they're all grounded in what we would consider to be absolute truth. There's laws of physics, the laws of mathematics. These are laws, like these are foundational, yeah. right? Which Christians believe that's the word of God for us. It's it's foundational, which I think that we could make a really strong argument for that for most of civilization. But nonetheless, they're saying, well, if we question the people that came up with these laws, and if they're people who were potentially creating these things for their own power, then maybe we need to just do away with them altogether. And it's, it feels a lot like, you know, cutting the limb off that you're sitting on, you know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> and, and yet it's people that are willing to go to those conclusions. And I'm, I'm not sure the whole society even recognizes that for what it is just kind of like, oh, well, no big deal. You know, these things, but for the church to stand up and be bold, like in the book of Acts and say, actually, this, this, this doesn't lead right. to human flourishing. Yeah. In fact, it leads to human degradation. Yeah. You know, when we talk about gender, it's not, it's not that we are trying to hate anyone it's because we love people we love life we love human beings because they're made in the image of god we want to preserve that and and it right if it's done anything for me and i don't know if you felt this way about the book of acts and the study you guys are doing but it's actually for the first time made me understand even more the things that paul was facing the things the disciples were facing you know for years i've read it and thought well that's just it's extreme paganism that they're dealing with and yeah. then now looking out at our culture and seeing kind of the turn that we're making, I'm like, oh, this is how it could be. Right. <laughs> and, it, and it makes you realize, like, the courage of the of the apostles might be what C.S. Lewis says is courage is every virtue at its testing point. Yeah. It's like, man, the courage of the disciples really stands out to me. Yeah, because you see it on the backdrop of what what's going on in their world at that time. And it's honest, it, like, we've had moments where it's really heartbreaking. Um, Lauren Warner recorded a, a teaching um, about the stoning of Stephen. And it was just heartbreaking because he stands with such boldness in that moment and, um, you know, is obviously killed for his faith at that time. And he doesn't see the fruit of him doing that, which we know afterwards that Paul was a witness to what was happening and comes to know Jesus. And, you know, obviously Stephen would be so glad to see the fruit of what happened, but he never got the opportunity to see that. He was killed before that. And just, a really heartbreaking moment, you know, because yeah. you see people uh, with boldness and courage and, you know, Paul break out of prison and you see these awesome moments. Um, but then you have these heartbreaking, heartbreaking moments in the book of Acts too, like the story of Stephen where um, just moved to tears reading, um, you know, him taking a stand for his faith and then ultimately being killed for it. And yeah, he's a real guy. Looking to the heavens at the time, you know, and he's just a real guy. He's really like a really a real, real guy in history that you just kind of pass over. It's like, oh, but he had to be courageous in a moment. Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, he was just one of the guys that they had chosen to minister to the widows yeah. in the daily distribution. You know, he was yep. just a guy serving the church. Just serving. And never got to see the fruit of him standing up that day, you know, and um, being bold in his faith. Yeah. Um, and yet we know it has great impact and it's recorded in the book of Acts and we all read it and we're all impacted by his story today. So his him doing that that day just rippled throughout history and yet... Uh, it's not something he got to see yeah. and experience. So okay, that's a perfect segue. Our to my next question and maybe next topic, which is sometimes we don't get to see the the fruit, and the next generation is the one who gets to see the fruit. You know, you're a mom. 
And obviously, you get the chance to minister to a lot of the moms in our church. A lot of moms, maybe they don't even come to our church sometimes, but they maybe they show up at a women's ministry. With everything that's going on um, in relation to the craziness of our world, what do you see as the major obstacles that moms are facing uniquely? Um, and again, like we said, we can look to the scriptures and some things are cyclical, and so it's not unique. You know, maybe others, other Christians of other generations have dealt with it. But I think we can also agree that there's some things that are just like technology, for instance, like brand new. So what do you see as like a big obstacle for moms trying to be courageous to lead their fam- to lead their families, to love on their kids, to love their husbands, to, you know, like how they function in today's society when, um, you know, motherhood is simultaneously kind of celebrated, but also kind of like, yeah, but you also have to be all these things too. Yeah. <laughs> or else you're not being faithful to the woman's cause. Yeah. You know, what do you see as some obstacles and that our gals have to overcome. Yeah. I mean, specifically in the role of being a mom, you're playing a very important role in discipling your kids, both through, we talked about this in, in, in my Bible study that I'm doing with some friends, but um, you are teaching them both in your words and in your actions. And I, I feel like we're starting to see that being so important even younger. I've gotten to share with you some of the conversations that my daughter who is in kindergarten is having and coming back home and us already having to, uh, you know, make sure she understands the gospel and understand God's word and what is true and that we, you know, we do what God tells us to do and not what, you know, it doesn't matter what the world says is right or wrong is that we take, you know, we're obedient to God. And so that's going to be really important. And I think part of that is again, women being, uh, knowing, the truth, making sure that they understand it. Um, And something I've been thinking about lately is just, I think it can be really easy for us, and this is probably not specific to women or moms, but we can be a little apathetic or lazy in our relationship with the Lord. I think we have access to so many resources right now. We can pop on a podcast as we clean our house. You know, we can, um, we can, you know, Google something and find it really easily. I think we have this incredibly, you know, the word of God to us is very accessible. We probably have like 10 copies of scripture on our bookshelf. And I think about the persecuted church that is smuggling just pages and memorizing one page because that's all they have. And then handing it over to another believer and they swap pages so that they have the opportunity to memorize a page. It's just like we have the the you know it's so accessible to us it's so easy for us to get to that i feel like we've almost forgotten how valuable it is that we have access to the bible and to god's word and so i think for moms it's really just making sure that we are staying engaged in our relationship with the lord that we are spending time in the word that we are spending time in prayer and knowing that those things change us as uh, women as wives as moms and we're really going to need that as we um, are discipling our kids, both through our words, being able to speak truth to them. Um, you know, and and with me as a mom, I just try to always bring it, you know, the Lord into things. So like, oh, look at a, what a beautiful day God has made for us, just to make, um, kind of remind my kids that everything comes from the Lord. You know, every good and perfect gift is from God. And um, and so both through just how we speak and how we um, communicate about what's going on in their lives, but also just uh, giving them a faith that they can imitate. I just, uh, last month when I taught, we um, were teaching, it's when uh, Paul brings Timothy into his missionary journey. 
um, and he talks about his parents, you know, that his mom, we went back and uh, looked at Timothy's mom, had a sincere faith, and his grandmother. And not only their faith is uh, mentioned, but also that they taught him the sacred texts. And so they, they had introduced him to, they gave him a faith he could imitate. And so um, I just think that's going to be really important for our kids, um, yeah. both giving them the words uh, when they don't maybe have that in their minds yet, and then also just giving them a faith that they can imitate. I saw mom get up and she studied her Bible. I saw her praying. She prayed over me when I was sick. She prayed over me when I had a need. She prayed over me when I had something going on at school, whatever it is. Yeah. You know, recently we were doing the... Um, Eyes Full of Grace series, you know, which was kind of going and following mm-hmm. Jesus to the cross. And one one portion of Scripture that has stuck with me through that uh, series was Jesus with the children. And Jesus has the, you know, basically yeah. tells the disciples, let the little children come to me. And then but right after that, he talks about, it'd be better for you to tie a millstone around your neck and be cast into the middle of the sea than to offend one of these little children. Yeah. And during time of like prayer and study, going through and recognizing like Jesus is basically giving a warning, I think, to parents too, that like our action and inaction of leading kids astray mm-hmm. and that we can do that through. And listen, there's no perfect parents, you know, hope that would listen to this and get yeah. condemnation. Like, you know, you and I talk, laugh about like how often we don't know if we're doing the right things yeah. or know <laughs> we're not doing the right things. But I think just the, the constant care to say like my actions matter. Yeah. And my inaction matters. Um, mm-hmm. What I approve in my kids, what I disapprove in my kids, is imparting to them some of this like absolute truth. Because even as your your kids are growing up, learning to read, being able to grab the Bible and start to read it as their own. Until then, this is why you know one of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and mother. Because in right. many ways, the Bible they're reading is your life. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so you're kind of setting setting that. You're like the referee in their life. You don't mm-hmm. get to set the rules. You just get to kind of tell them the, these are balls, these are strikes. That's out right. of bounds, right? You know, um, and if we're lackadaisical about that, then what we're doing is like un- we're undoing things without knowing we're undoing. Yeah, and I love that. And and that's something that has kind of stood out to me is we're called we're called to and what we talk about in Providence Kids is imparting the gospel. Yep. To the next generation, which is not just the reason we use the word imparting and not just teaching is because teaching's words, but right. imparting's all the above, like you said. Yeah. Words, in, actions. Yes, including the little things. And so mm-hmm. I guess I wanted to ask, like, what things have you, you already mentioned a couple of them, but as a mom, um, what things have you tried to integrate into your life with the kids that isn't just verbal, but, you know, just things that are just the way in which I live. I want to be intentional. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. About the gospel and Jesus's name in my household. Yeah. You know, totally. between you and Donovan, what are some of those things? Yeah, some of them we've, uh, like I mentioned before, just uh, always bring in the the speech, the way that I speak about things, like a good day or, um, you know, I'm so thankful that the Lord gave me you as a daughter. You're the perfect big sister for our family. You're the perfect little brother for our family. Yeah. You know, he's he gave you to me. Um, he chose me to be your mom and he chose, and you know, that's huge for you guys too, cause that's right. even bigger. Cause yeah. you guys engaged in, you know, you ad- were able to adopt your kiddos. 
And um, so just kind of the way that we talk and just also just, you know, the value of the Bible. We're going to sit together and we're going to read the Bible together and we're going to talk about it. You know, we've you talked about the story about Jesus um, and the little children. And I've just had a lot of conversations with them. Like, can you believe Jesus loved you so much? You know, he he told adults to be like you, to have a faith like you. Why do you think he would say that? And just have those kind of conversations with them um, to get their minds thinking about it. And yeah, like I said, coming out of some of the conversations, you know, my kindergartner now, my son's two, so he's not having a lot of <laughs> fruitful conversations with his friends yet. But my kindergartner already bringing, um, you know, uh, questions home from school and uh, being able to talk to her about you know we just we believe that what God says is what is right and that's what we obey and so we might hear other things from other people we might see other things our friends might do things you know um, you know why is it important to obey you know because you know we obey you show me love we I show you know we all show God that we love him when we obey so just tying um, small concepts that they're experiencing in their life to the bigger concept of our relationship with God and faith um uh, so that's probably the biggest way that we do it. You know, we're not musicians, so we're not <laughs> singing a lot in family worship, like, but just dance parties too. I mean, I yeah. mean, kids are fun. I love being a mom to little kids. I mean, you know that. I've, yeah. I, I love uh, parenting my kids, and so just making it, you know, a lot of fun. You know, we're gonna dance to the Lord, like you know, whatever it, yeah. it is. It's interesting. Like uh, it's something that I've had. I talk too much, and I talk for a living. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's been interesting with my kids um, with having speech delays coming mm-hmm. from um, coming from another country is learning how to parent when I can't only use the one thing that I do all the time. Yeah, and so it's a challenge. It's been a challenge, but it's also been helpful to know that all the other things matter. You know, how do you express the father's love and you, through your love without just them even knowing what I love you means? Yeah. That yeah. challenges you, but I think it challenges in a good way because it actually makes it has made me consider all of my nonverbal cues, right? All the things you know, my facial expressions um, that I don't know if I'm I'm giving off a scowl or I'm you know coming yeah. home or whatever. Like uh, you know, Jane really picks up on that, and I have to catch my like I'll see in her that she's inquisitive. Like, is he mad at me? Yeah. Or is he my tone of voice? Everything matters, and it, it made me think, man. It, it has really challenged me to try to be a better dad in the way that I not only speak but just yeah. live intentionally to try to communicate to them the right things. Yeah, because there are times where they need to know that I'm mad or this right. is not good or right. But actually questioning like how much of that just kind of happens. It's funny. Yeah, I think I see kids a lot. Something that's convicting for me is just like I, I see them looking at me and my eyes are always on my phone or something mm. like that. You know, and that that reminds me to put it away because your kids will um, just glance at you. You know, as you sit there and watch TV, they want to see if you saw what just happened. And I think that that's something that I feel convicted about is when they keep glancing over and your eyes are on a phone. Like, what are they learning in that interaction? You know, and yes. so Which just being per- present with them. Perfect, because I wanted to ask you, obviously, you know, I, I spent some time on this, like early in Providence. I, I kind of, I was not an early adopter of social media generally. I did not like it. You know this because we knew each other. Yeah. You know, back in the MySpace days, I never had a MySpace or anything I didn't like. I thought it was silly. Um, and then the first social media account I ever got on was Facebook. That was whenever you had to have your university URL yep. to get on it. Um, 
And so anyway, pastoring people for now like going into where we are today, it's just a whole other level. Like I, I don't even know what's happening. Like TikTok's just so beyond me. Yeah. I just, I don't even know what's Let happening. Let it stay beyond you. Yes. <laughs> I don't know what's going on half the time. And so, but you know, it's been something that I've, I've really recognized as both, well, early on it was potentially, it could be good. I've mostly recognized as a major problem. Yeah. Um, and that is social media. Like, how does it impact the Christian life? Yeah. I, first, I wanted to ask for you, like, how's it impacted you? How have you dealt with it? And then how do you see it impacting others Yeah. Um, in the church and their discipleship? Not just with time, but all the other things, like relationships, how they interact. Right. Um, and then third question being, like, what are your worries? I know I have mine, but for the next generation, for the kids. Like, what, yeah. like, what, are, what are y'all talking about in y'all's house as far as, like, what are going to be the boundaries later on? Because I know our kids are young right now. They don't have yeah. phones. They're not going to have phones for a while. But I do get scared. Like, what are they going to even have in a decade? I know. Yeah, social media is a big one for me. And I, I do feel like I have kind of some guardrails or some things that I hold in my life. So I'll share those. I don't think it's the same for everybody. I think everybody needs to be really self-aware with their own use of social media and kind of develop what, things that they watch for in themselves. Um, so it's it's relatively, you know, it can be a very neutral thing. Um, some things I watch for is how much I'm consuming versus how much I'm producing. I think sometimes I can kind of get in this mode of being just a glutton of information. I'm just scrolling through my phone for hours, but never putting anything out there that's helpful. It's just like totally, totally consuming, yeah. you know? And so I try to keep that in balance. Like if I'm going to consume in this sphere, I also want to produce in this um, and so if I'm going to, if, you know, I'm going to be on Facebook, I'm going to put something helpful out into Facebook right. as well. And so maintain a balance. Cause you never know how much, what, if you're consuming <laughs> trash, cause you don't know what's coming your way. It's like, I want to contribute something good yeah, to the conversation. Exactly. I want to be a contributor here. Otherwise I'm just like a, a, lurker. a strange lurker <laughs> standing on the side. Yeah. Um, and it's so funny, a couple of years ago, you know, I really started reading a lot more and I was sharing a lot of that on, on social media and people would ask me like, how are you reading so much? And I'm like, I just realized how much I'm reading all day, every day anyway, but I'm either scrolling through Facebook. We're reading when we're scrolling through Facebook. Right. So if we can take a bit of that energy, that reading energy, take that off of Facebook and into a book. Um, you'd be surprised at how much you can read too. You yeah. Know? Just changing the content. To yeah. Something that's contributing. Exactly. <laughs> Um, but other things I look for in myself, like just as a habit, uh, if I'm feeling lonely, um, if I'm starting to feel uh, depressed, if I'm starting to feel anxious, um, those are indicators for me that it might be I need to cut off social media, which is really interesting that you could be surrounded by so many voices in social media. And yet when I am inundated with it, I can feel very lonely. What's so funny is you saying that I would guess and, and maybe and I think I even noticed this in myself when I had when I was on social media having those feelings and going to social media. Yeah, it's like I'm lonely or I'm depressed or I'm I'm just gonna like veg out on social yeah. media. And, yeah, and it like it's almost like it gives it gives a distracting from what you're feeling. Yeah, so it's interesting that you say you do the opposite. Yeah, it, and, and in some ways it is distracting, and so I think that is why we get to it. But then. When we go there, distracted, we're also exposed to just so much more than we would have been exposed to without social media. I think uh, it's so hard for us because I, in some ways, our experiences as humans can be really tragic. You know, as friends, we've gone through a lot together in, in even our friendship circle. And social media exposes you way beyond your friendship circle. So now you're not even dealing with, you know, your friend's grandparent dying. 
you're like a high school friend that you haven't seen in 15 years, their grandparents suffering and you're being exposed to all this tragedy, you know, and it's just kind of inundating and I think can be really hard for us to bear that. Um, we're just yeah. bearing so much more than we would normally do. So when I'm, and yeah, we, we've laughed Donovan, my husband, um, you know, we'll be like driving to see friends and I'll tell him I'm feeling really lonely. <laughs> and he's just like, we're literally going to see our friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, and those are usually clear indicators. And what I do when um, I start to feel that is I just delete it all together. I don't even just delete the apps. I delete, you know, my accounts all together and I just take a break until I'm ready to, to get back on. And so I feel like for me, I've built safeguards in my life. I kind of know I'm getting into this mode. I feel, I'm feeling really apathetic <laughs> towards life. Yeah. I'm feeling really lonely. I, I already can um, struggle a little bit with feeling anxious about things. So if that's kind of creeping up there into where like it's starting to affect me, um, then I kind of know I probably just need to take a break. And that not only just cuts off all the noise, but it also gives you time back. So now right. instead of like me picking up my phone in my 10 minute break, which is when it's easiest to do this, when you have those short pockets of time. Right. Well, I've got a book here. I'll just pick that up. I've got the Bible sitting right next to me. I'll pick it up and read it. Maybe I'll just sit here and um, think. Maybe I'll sit here and pray. So I think it kind of redirects our activities naturally. And so that's what I would encourage. I don't think it's gonna be the same for everybody, but I would say as a believer, have guardrails, have kind of markers. At least be thinking about it. Yeah. Because I think most of this is internal and it's it happens uh, involuntarily. Like the feelings, for mm -hmm. instance, of loneliness that come up or, or anxiety. I think you're spot on, like the anxiety that I have experienced is I'm already dealing with like Jesus said today has the, the enough trouble for itself yeah. and then and then because I'm, I'm a struggle with being a sinner I'm thinking about all the other things tomorrow and the next day that are in my own life exactly. then, I, then I click on like a social media app and maybe I get through three you know pictures of somebody's kids and that's nice to see or whatever or you know oh cool that family member is doing but then inevitably you're gonna get to somebody's really anxious or a new story or something that that is uh, bringing your attention, saying, hey, you should care about this. Yeah. And then I'm like, oh man, I didn't care about this. And then I see a friend commented on it, or a church member at Providence, they care about it too. Yeah. Um, I, I'll never forget uh, one of our members, um, or it actually wasn't a member, It was this was like early days of Providence, somebody who had been a guest, but sitting down with me and saying like, yeah, you need to have enough time so that you can speak to all these issues that are happening in the, you know, around the world, you know, because everybody wants to hear from you in the church. Yeah. And I'm like, first of all, I hope not. I hope don't, nobody wants to hear from me at all about these issues because I'm not even thinking about them most right. of the time or I'm trying not to at least think about the things that I have no control over. Yeah. But social media brings those up. And then I thought, well, what about loneliness? Well, then if you do see like even other people, it's kind of like the fear of missing out. Yeah. Like if you see other people like posting something like, oh man, they're the same age as me. They yeah. all have kids oh, too. So and they happy. look like they just went to, you know, Austin for the weekend. And yeah. And then there's me and I'm just sitting here, you know, like I want couch eating Cheetos or, you know, or I'm driving yeah. to see my own friends, but I can't even get outside of myself to think like, to realize like, that I oh, wish I was friends with me. them. <laughs> yeah, I wish they, I wish I had friends like that or they were friends with me or I was there with them or. Yeah, totally. It's, it's a weird thing that happens to you and you wouldn't know, like, I don't think we'd ever vocalize that, yeah. but that's the feeling that happens. Yeah, exactly. So if Christians just recognize like, Hey, this is all coming at you. It is affecting you. Yeah. Like don't pretend like you're immune. Right. Listen, I'm getting upset with people that I wouldn't have been upset with if I hadn't seen that one post that they made. That's right. a good indicator. 
I'm telling Get you. off. You don't have to see it. Exactly. You don't have to know their opinion about that like highly yep. charged uh, like uh, subject. Yeah. And then you can love them. Yeah. And exactly. that's a lot more peaceful. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with the kids issue though, I mean, it's not like we can predict the future, but here's one fear of mine. And then you can tell me what you think, but I know I'm going to have pastor's kids. Which yeah. scares me because it's like, okay, restriction equals rebellion. Right. It's like the more that I'm like, yeah, you're not going to have a phone until you're 35. You know, I yeah. joke with that. You know, I joke with Morgan like that. I'm like, well, you know, Jonas can date in high school. Then Jane, you know, when she's 40, yeah, she yeah. can have her first <laughs> boyfriend or whatever. But, and I joke, that's not serious. So what's serious is my fear that on one hand, that the boundaries would not exist. And it's just like sending your kids out into a yeah. battlefield with un- ill-equipped. And they just get really harmed by it. Or B being so restrictive that in the end what your heart is which is to protect them actually gets communicated as being overbearing yeah and restrictive yeah and you know and you just kind of see what has played itself out over and over and over again for generations which is kids rebel against that yeah and so i don't know exactly what that's going to look like like that's my biggest fear is like as the more that i see it coming the more i'm like oop i don't want to yeah. give kids phones yep what what have you been thinking <laughs> i mean, what do you, what do you, what do What's the best way? You know, like, what are you going to do? Yeah, I, it's going to be a struggle for me to allow them to have much of anything. I know. Um, because I see the dangers in it, you know, and I think we are just the ones that are kind of putting those boundaries in for our kids, you know, early on. And it's much easier to give them than take it, to give it and take it away, you know. And so I think I'll be pretty conservative with how we introduce phones and social media. Um, you know, and I think in some ways, what what maybe is encouraging is I won't be parenting alone. I'm going to be parenting parenting along with my friends, and yeah. so it won't just be like if I'm holding a you know a, a line, I probably have friends that are holding similar lines, and yeah. we'll be in it together. You know, I I hope that our kids will all be friends as well. I, I don't know though; it's going to be a struggle for me to want to allow almost any of it. I know because <laughs> I see so much danger and I can I, I see it eroding you know the way that we as humans relate to one another in a really harmful way and so I'm just gonna have to be really careful about it but I would say it, it's gonna really require us to be very attentive if we do allow it and I think intentional you know maybe the takeaway is like recognizing it don't not every technology not every yeah. new thing should just be wholesale received right you know it's, it's interesting the Amish communities always they have like a, a like committees they have councils and the Amish communities get together and they basically will have these long conversations and prayer times about whether or not this technology receiving it will what it will it cost right our community and what will it offer and it's what's led them to basically continue on now with like you know everybody makes fun of the Amish communities I saw an article the other day that said the Amish communities had herd immunity before any of us. Like, oh, were, yeah, I know. They were fine. But, um, but I do think like maybe ad- adopting that idea of like as Christians, we should in our own homes at bare minimum be having these conversations in community and saying like, okay, as these things approach, rather than in, in a silo making these calls, yeah. you know, what's the cost-benefit analysis we're making on some of these technological changes and our kids? Yeah. Because we all, we all know that our culture just says, if it's new, if it's faster, if it makes it more convenient, if it's fun. Then it's better. Then it's better. Yeah. It's like, well, no, not necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and we've seen now, I think even with just the advent of the internet, like all of the things that it's also cost us. 
Um, right. It doesn't mean that we don't think the internet's a good thing. I mean, part of the you know people that are going to be listening to this broadcast are going to do it on the internet. So great, you can get that information out. But there have been there have been costs. Let's right. not pretend there have not. Right. I think maybe that's the takeaway. But you know, okay. Last thing I wanted to ask you because we've been talking for a long time. I don't even know how long. But last thing I wanted to ask you is you know, from your perspective as a leader in Providence, you've been here since the beginning, like you said. Um, what would be one thing you would encourage the church with, the people that are listening that are part of Providence, the encouragement for the next season that you see? Because we've been through a number of things over the last couple of years as a church. You know, we just yeah. got displaced by fire sprinkler system blowing up on us again. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, you know, what, what do you see? <laughs> what do you see moving forward? And what would be your one encouragement to the church to close out? Yeah, so I started this year praying for unity for Providence, you know, and that's my heart going into this year, and that's kind of my my heart that I have moving forward is just um, what I want the people of Providence to understand is that we are in this time and place together for a reason. God has assembled a people under the uh, name Providence Community Church, which is part of his larger church, and we're all committed together. Um, we're all committed to the gospel. We say every week, you know, we are a group of people around a single vision to make the gospel unignorable in our city. Yeah. And so for me, I just want the members of Providence to um, commit to that together, that we are all in this together. And that's what led us to study the book of Acts is let's take a look at the early disciples. Now they've just been with Jesus. Jesus has ascended. Now they're forming the church. They're, you, they're beginning um, to evangelize and to share the gospel. And so let's look at the believers and what you see in the church is them coming together, being exceedingly generous with one or meeting the needs with, of one another, serving together. Um, just this incredible unity, boldness, courage, selflessness, courageous, like just so many things in the early church as they are beginning to take the gospel and the, the truth about Jesus out. And so that's what I want our members to um, realize and carry in, that we're all in this together. This isn't like court cares for the people, the yeah. elders care for the people. No, we care for one another. Right. We are in this together. We all give generously for the needs of the church and so that the, the needs of our area can be met and we can do you know missions work in South Africa and all around the world. Um, we all serve one another. Yes, like this person is here and they're gonna make coffee on Sunday morning because I'm coming in to watch their kids and this right. person's opening the door. Like we are all serving one another in order to um, just gather together as believers. And so just kind of um, seeing that and seeing the value of uh, people, uh, a people um, under the big church. This is a, a particular people the people of Providence, and I just want to them to be unified and committed and to see the value of that, um, brothers and sisters in Christ together. You get me excited about the Life Together series that we're doing. Oh, Ephesians yay! <laughs> I'm excited about it. Okay, before we get before we uh, uh, leave, I wanted to ask, if there's a gal listening that hasn't been to women's ministry, how do they get involved? Yeah, so uh, women's ministry. So we um, we have women's meetings every third Tuesday of the month, um, and we will sometimes go through series. So that looks a little bit differently. But honestly, they can just show up. There, we don't register. We don't have anything like that. They can just come. We meet at seven o'clock. 
Um, the only time that we'll need them to ever register or let us know that they're coming in is if they need childcare, which we try to provide. Uh, we don't have a lot of availability for childcare, but we do in case it's a need of, you know, we might have a single mom or dads that work at night. Um, and what we do at women's meeting, just so people uh, have an idea, is you'll come in, you kind of grab a cup of coffee and a snack and uh, have a seat at a table, and then we'll get started. We generally start with a little bit of worship just to kind of transition from what we were doing to now we're gathering together to study God's word. Uh, we'll have our time of discussion, which will always provide the questions at the table, and then we'll have a time of teaching, and we're done by nine, usually before that. Uh, now, at times, like when we're going through a series, and we'll probably be pretty consistent about this, but we also have additional resources available, particularly right now for the Acts series. So every month we release a workbook, and that workbook is just there to deepen um, their study. So it's optional. We never structure women's meetings where they will be required to do that as homework prior to coming. Um, we want you to be able to walk into women's meeting, never seen the text, never read the text, and be able to engage and um, have those conversations. But if you are interested in deepening your study of the text, then we do have those workbooks available and they will give you some questions to take you deeper um, into the text. So you're going to read it, but you're also going to answer questions. You may look up other texts and tie it together. Um, and we make those available. So we have a Facebook group for Providence Women. We'll also post announcements about women's meetings on there. Uh, we have them available at our Connect booth. So if you are coming in person to Providence on a Sunday morning, you can always get the month's workbook there. Uh, and we email it out to our members, but that is obviously only to our membership list. So, Awesome. Yeah. All right, ladies. Well, if you want to, please come and uh, check out the women's ministry. Also, I want to just thank you for listening to this episode of the Provcast. If you want to check out more about Providence or learn more about our church, you can go to ProvidenceTX.org and uh, check out our website. Also, if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. Not only will you get the uh, editions of the Provcast, but you'll also get our Sunday morning sermons. You can do that on iTunes, and you can also find our sermons online at ProvidenceTX.org. So, uh, until next one, until next time, I just want to say, love God, love people. We're so glad you listened in. Uh, blessings to you. Sunday.